right, here to wrap up our Minor Prophet series is Mr. J.T. Meyer. Thank you. I just want to make it clear, I wasn't attempting to yodel on the album. That's just what it sounds like, so. Hey, uh, before I get started, I want to plug one thing, because I know you guys are like, we didn't get enough announcements. Can we get some more? Um, hey, so technically, we have, our, we have our rib cook-off coming in about a month, and technically, the sign-up ended yesterday, but we have some spots still available for cookers. So if you love to barbecue, put your money where your mouth is. Uh, You can sign up. uh, If you could sign up this weekend, that would be really helpful for for us. You win $300 if the judges pick your ribs. So if you like to smoke, to, to barbecue, to grill, sign up. There's packets on the info counter. All right. So I want to tell you guys a, a, a little story. Um, I had a very close friend in my early 20s. There was a guy named Matt. And me and Matt played music together. Uh, we traveled all around the United States. Uh, there was probably about a two-year period where I spent more time with Matt than about anyone in the entire world. And one one day, it was late afternoon, it was like a summer night, and I remember a bunch of our friends were going to go out and hang out, and I called up Matt, and I said, hey, Matt, come, come hang out with us, and he said, I got a headache, I'm going to stay in, and the next morning, I got a phone call that said Matt never woke up, and, uh, and it, just, it just rocked my world, it like blew my mind, and I was like, what? I, j- I just talked to him. He just has a headache. Turns out he had an aneurysm, and uh, he was 20, 21 years old, uh, and it, it just it devastated me. And I began to just really wrestle with God about it. Like it didn't it didn't feel fair. And 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 meanwhile, I was going through like a really hard breakup, like my first real breakup, and. Uh, I, I had my brother was at the time addicted to uh, to drugs, and he was like you know another one of my best friends, and and I had some people who were mentors of mine who were caught in affairs and just had some you know crazy things happening in my life, and it was just devastating, and I began to wrestle with these things and just really upset about them, and I began to kind of. Uh, go to God and be like, why are these th- things happening? And it, it led to me really questioning the goodness of God. Like, God, how can you stand by and watch these things happen? Why aren't you doing anything about them? And, and in my life, it just, I began to have more questions than I had answers. And I was just full of all of these doubts full of all of of just doubt and questions. And here's the thing. When I talk about doubt in my life, when I talk about questioning God, I want to make it really clear that I'm not talking about something that used to happen. I'm not talking about something that happened in the past. I, I want to be really honest with you guys and tell you, I still struggle with doubt. I still struggle with questions. 
And I, I, I see, maybe some of you guys are like, yeah, I know, everybody does. But some of you guys might be, this might be shocking. Maybe the first time in a church or first time you heard a pastor say they struggle with doubt. But I wrestle with things. I, I, I have this internal battle in, in, inside of myself with my flesh and my spirit where I, I, I believe, but I, but I question and I say, God, what are you doing? I don't, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand. I don't see you in this. God, I'm not sure about what you're doing in this situation. But what has brought me great comfort is knowing that I'm not alone in this. The truth is, is if I look at like my Christian heroes, if I look at the, the people who I've like really tried to emulate my life after, they struggled with doubt as well. I mean, C.S. Lewis famously wrote about just these, these dark times and these times of wrestling and questioning the goodness of God. Mother Teresa, man, she struggled big time. There were long periods of her life where she felt so distant from God, and she talks about in her, in her journal that she felt isolated at points from God. Martin Luther questioned God's character, said again in his journal that at one point he felt wholly lost from God. Charles Spurgeon spoke about it all the time. He preached about doubt and he would talk about the spiritual darkness that he would feel and how doubt was a normal part of his everyday life. John Calvin, I know we're getting, this is exciting, right? We're pumped up about church. John Calvin talked about unbelief in his heart and said that, that when he had certainty and assurance of God, there was always a, a tinge of doubt that went along with it. So why am I telling you guys all this? It's because there's not enough depressing things on the news, and I just thought, <laughs> no. The reason that I'm talking about this is because I think this is a subject that's been uh, really avoided in the American church. And doubt is a part of our everyday life. We need to talk about it. The reality is, is we all struggle with doubt. We all question. Here's a test. Here's a way to know if you're going to struggle with doubt. If you take two fingers and put them on your wrist, if you feel a pulse, that means you're going to struggle with doubt. Charles Spurgeon said, I think when a man says, I never doubt, it's quite time for us to doubt him. For you, it may be theological questions. You know, is, is God real? Is the Bible reliable? Is, 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 did Jesus really raise from the dead? Did he really do the things that he said he did? You know, maybe a theological, maybe it's a, more of a personal question for you. God, do you really love me? God, do you really have a plan for my life? God, are you really going to do something in this situation? So as we continue this series in the Minor Prophets, as we wrap it up, we're, we're going to be looking at doubt and talking about it and, and what we do with our doubt. And today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite doubters in the Bible. And I'm sure he doesn't like me calling him a doubter, but that's, that's what he is. Uh, his name is Habakkuk. 
And just as an aside, I know some people say Habakkuk, some people say Habakkuk, and I want to tell you guys that we don't know the right way to say it. It's true. If someone says, no, that's not how you say it, I'd be like, I don't know how to say it. Because it's actually, it's a word from an ancient language that we've lost the pronunciation for. So you can say it however you want. You can call them, I'm just going to call them Hal today. It would be easier. But the, the book of Habakkuk is really short. It's really, really short. And it's this little short conversation that we see between Habakkuk and, and God that's just this brief interaction. And we see that he, he took place in pre-exile before the Babylonians came and, and took over. And, and, and there's just, we don't know a whole lot about him, but we, we, all we have really recorded of him is this conversation with, with God. And so we're going to just jump right in. And before we do, let me just pray real fast. So Lord, we do just come before you and we thank you that you are the prototype father. That you are the father to the fatherless. That you are, uh, you are here today. And that you have something to say to each and every one of us, Lord. So we just uh, give you permission to, to speak to us. In your name, amen. All right, so we're going to just jump right in. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2, we'll have it up on the screens. But if you want a Bible... They're on the stage and in the, on the sound booth. If you don't have one at home, please take it home with you. So it says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you, why, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife. And conflict abounds, therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous, so that justice is perverted. So we see here Habakkuk is upset. He's upset about violence and and and, and justice and, and wickedness. And we're not a hundred percent sure exactly what he's talking about. Like, we don't know what events he's referring to here, but we see that there's, there's this, this, this just unrest in his heart. And he's like, God, why, why are you letting this stuff happen? Why do I see so much violence? Why do I see so much injustice? And we, we, again, we don't know if he's talking about just in the world or if he's talking about in his personal life, but we can tell he's upset. And, and can you relate to that? I mean, maybe you're like, you see another thing on the news about a school shooting, and you're like, God, do something. Do something. Or maybe you see someone, you know, hurt someone that you love, and you're like, God, can you, can you, can you act on this one? Dude, I know you can. Do something about it. Why won't you do anything? So we're going to read further and see what God's response is. This is really interesting. God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own, they are feared and dreaded people. 
They are, a, they are a law to themselves, and they promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an evil eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them, and they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. All right. What is God saying here? So Habakkuk is coming to him and saying, God, I see so much wickedness. I see so much evil. I see so much injustice. And, 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 and God answers him by saying, I got bad news. He doesn't say, oh, you know what? You're right. I'm going to fix that. I'm going to do something about it. And he doesn't say, you know what? I, I, I hear you, but this is why that's happening. This is why I'm doing it. He says, it's going to get worse. He says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. They're evil. They're, they're destructive. They're, they're all of these things. And they're going to wipe out the whole known world. They're going to take over the whole known world, including you guys. He says, first of all, you're not going to understand what I'm doing, but I'm going to tell you anyways. I'm raising up the Babylonians to overthrow you guys. Man, that's probably not the answer that Habakkuk was looking for. So let's see what Habakkuk says back to God. In verse 12, he says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? And this was really challenging. I think it loses a little bit of its sting. But essentially what he's saying is he's like, hey, God, I thought you were infinitely powerful. Hey, God, I thought you were, you know, the eternal one, the almighty one. I thought you were the great and mighty Oz. It's challenging him. So what, what can we learn from this interaction between Habakkuk and God? And the first thing I see here that I think is really important is that Habakkuk is brutally honest with God. He's, he's really honest about the way he's feeling and what he's experiencing. And, and the truth is, is we see people do this with God all throughout Scripture. This is, a, this is a precedent that we see all throughout the Bible. From Abraham to, to, to Moses to David to Thomas to Peter. It's like constantly people are saying, God, I don't understand what you're doing here. I don't know if I can do what you're asking me to do. This doesn't make sense. God, it seems like you're sitting on your hands. Questioning and doubting and struggling to understand is clearly something that we see throughout all of Scripture. And, and, and so for us, I think it's important that we understand that we can do the same thing. We can acknowledge our doubts. We can acknowledge our doubts, and that's the, the first blank on your outline is we can acknowledge our doubts. It's okay to do that. In fact, it's healthy to do it. Not only is it okay, it's healthy to acknowledge our doubts. See, we need to process what we're thinking. We need to process what we're feeling. 
See, the Bible calls us to faith. The Bible tells us that we need to have faith, but, but faith doesn't mean that we don't doubt. Faith doesn't mean that we don't question or we don't struggle or that we have all the answers figured out. Faith isn't just closing your eyes and moving forward and saying, okay, I, I'll do it, I believe. It's not a blind faith that God is calling us to. It's not a blind faith. See, I think it's good to ask hard questions of God. Listen, here, here's what Tim Keller says. He says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts. Essentially what Tim Keller is saying here is if we, don't, if we don't acknowledge the questions that we have, the doubts that we have, and we just stuff them down, when push comes to shove, they're going to rear their ugly head. When we face some kind of tragedy in our life, we're going to say, see, I knew that you weren't good. I knew it. Or when someone asks us a question that we said, no, I'm not allowed to ask that one. And we start thinking about it. We're like, I've never processed that. So we just immediately just begin to really push God away. We ignore our questions. We shove them down. And eventually, they catch up with us. And I see this over and over again within the church. Right? We stuff down. And I, and I think we do it for a variety. Maybe we do it because we, we're afraid. We, we've never been taught that it's okay to ask questions. Maybe we stuff it down because we've been told, no, you, you, you just got you to you know, move forward and have faith. God said it, so I believe it. But we ignore doubts and we don't acknowledge our questions. And when someone asks us how we're doing, we smile and we say, we're doing great. We're doing great. I mean, I've done it. I do it. I do it regularly. But not only do I not think that's helpful, I think it can be damaging. It can be damaging. We need to acknowledge our doubts and our struggles and our questions. We, we are so good in the Western church of building these veneers. We put these veneers on, and we look great on the outside. But so often on the inside, we are just struggling. We're just struggling. I know Phil Strout was telling a story earlier this year. I heard him talk. And he was talking about how in, on his property he has a, a number of apple trees. And he was, he was mowing his lawn. He loves his apple trees. He's mowing the lawn. And all of a sudden he accidentally barely, barely clipped one of the trees. Just barely nicked it. And it just collapsed. It collapsed. And he was like, what the heck? The tree, there was fruit on it. There was, it looked like a healthy tree. And then he, he looked inside and it was rotten on the inside. It was rotten on the inside. From the outside, it looked completely healthy. It was even bearing fruit. It even had fruit that it was bearing, but on the inside, it was rotting. And I think the truth is, is some of us maybe feel like that. We, we've, we've put up the good picture of what a good Christian needs to say and, and do and look like, but on the inside, we're just we're full of doubts and, and, and questions and struggles. We may be even producing fruit in our life. 
But we need to acknowledge what is, what is bubbling up inside. What are the things that are happening, the, eternal, the internal struggle that's going on within, inside all of us? The Bible talks about it. We're, there's the flesh and the, the spirit, and there's this battle going on in our hearts. I mean, wouldn't you love to be a church where we could really be honest about this stuff? Wouldn't you love to be a church where we could, when someone says, how are you doing, you could be like, not good. I'm not doing well, and I can, here's why. And listen, guys, I think in some ways our church does this really well, but I think we can, we can grow in this area. I think we can be that church that we are really honest about this stuff. Where does a safe place for people to, to acknowledge that they're struggling? Where we talk about our questions. And not only acknowledge them to ourselves and one another, but we acknowledge them to God. This is what Habakkuk was doing. He's processing with God. And do you know that you can do that too? I want to encourage you guys here today, no matter where you are, what you're struggling with, what your questions are, you can go tell God how you're feeling. He is a good, good father. He wants to hear what you're struggling with. Now, I've heard a lot of teachings about like, hey, you just need to go curse God and and shake your fist at him and really tell him how angry you are. And I don't think that's appropriate. I don't. I don't. I don't think he deserves that. I think he can take it. He's God. I don't think he deserves it. I think there needs to be a reverence towards him. And not only do I think he doesn't deserve it, but I don't think that's helpful for us. I mean, you wouldn't encourage anyone to do that in any other relationship. You wouldn't say, go curse out your wife or go curse. Like, you wouldn't do that. I don't think that's healthy to do because it's bad for our hearts to do stuff like that. But we can go to God and say, God, I am angry with you. God, I am frustrated with you. God, I don't see how you're good. I don't understand how this can happen in my life and you don't do anything. I don't feel like you care about me. Just like Habakkuk, we can go to God and acknowledge our frustrations and our doubts and we should do that. But here's another thing that I see Habakkuk doing. It's that he chose in the midst of his doubts, in the midst of his questioning, to still follow God. To still do what he was asking him to do. He puts his faith in God. And that's the second point. That in the midst of our doubts, in the middle of all of the turmoil, we still need to put our faith in God. See, we can put our faith in our doubts, or we can put our faith in God. We have a choice. What do you want to give power to? Here's what I mean. See, Habakkuk goes to God with these these really major concerns. Why do I see all this violence? Why do I see injustice? And and God doesn't give Habakkuk the answer he's looking for. He doesn't tell him why it's happening. He doesn't doesn't say any of that stuff. He says it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And he doesn't understand. But you you know what I think Habakkuk does understand? 
is that he needed, he doesn't even question whether or not he was still going to follow God. Listen to what he says in in chapter 2. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself at the ramparts, and I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm going to give to his complaint. See, he's left with his questions. He doesn't get his questions answered, but he still says, but I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to still do it. I'm going to still be faithful. Even if I don't understand. He even goes on in the very next thing to, to, to worship God. Listen to what he says in chapter 3. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. He worships him. He says, even if I don't understand, I'm still going to pursue you. I'm still going to be obedient to the things you've called me to do. I'm still going to, to follow you. It doesn't mean I'm not going to question. It means, but I'm, I'm going to still continue to worship you and, and pursue you and love you. It's important, yes, for us to acknowledge our questions, but we need to remind ourselves what is true. Like, I don't feel like you're good, but I know that you are. I don't feel like you care about me, but I know that you do. We see this in, in Scripture. It's preaching to your own heart. Saying, heart, I, don't, I, I know we don't feel like God likes us, but he does. But, but let me say this. Maybe you're here today, and you can't say that. Maybe you can't say, but maybe you don't know that he is good. Maybe you don't know that he is in control. And I want to still encourage you, go to him. Even if you can't get to that second part of, of saying what the truth actually is, even if you can just say, I don't feel like you're good, I still like, feel like God still wants to have that conversation with you. He's still inviting you like a good dad to say, come on, let's talk about it. Come tell me how you're feeling. It's okay. We can go to God with our struggles. But ultimately, guys, we need to understand that he is God and we are not. We get to go to him with our questions, and we should, but we can't demand answers. Okay, does that make sense? We can go to him with our questions, but we can't demand answers. At least we shouldn't demand answers. See, we're not the boss. I mean, that's what happened to me. When I was going through all these doubts and struggles, I basically said, God, until I get clarity on these issues, I'll be over here waiting. Okay? So until I understand why this stuff is happening, I'm I'm staying here. See, what I was doing was I was putting myself in God's position. I was taking his seat on the throne and saying, I am the judge. That I am the one who is able to say what is right and what is not right and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. What I needed to say was, I don't get this, I don't understand this, but I will follow you. Like, in this, this, this idea of doubts, and questioning, I think there are these two cliffs. And, and one of the cliffs is, is the, the cliff of, saying, of just stuffing it down. 
and saying, I believe and everything's fine and, and I don't have any questions and I never doubt God and you'll fall off that cliff and you'll hurt yourself. But the, the other edge is saying, I'm the boss. I get to decide what's right and wrong. I get to decide. And, and, and they're both equally as damaging. We, yes, we need to acknowledge our doubts. We need to acknowledge our questions. But we need to be okay with following him, even if he doesn't answer them the way we want him to answer. Because I find most of the time in these, this turmoil, most of the time when I'm asking these questions, typically the question I'm asking is, why? Right? We want to know why. Why is this happening? Why aren't you doing anything? You know, why do I have cancer? Why can't I get a job? Why am I depressed? Why does this person not like me? Why? And, and, and I get that. I understand asking that question. I've asked why all the time. But you know what I see is rarely in those times, I rarely see God answer the why question. A lot of times he answers it after the fact. But you know what I think is a better question? Is the how question. God, how should I respond to this? God, how can I connect to you through this? God, how, how am I supposed to, to grow in this situation? What, what do you want me to do? Where can I find you in this situation? I mean, go ahead. I think we can ask why, but I've rarely seen it answered. And we can't demand to understand. We can't demand to get our whys answered. I mean, it boils down to this. If God is God, then he's a lot smarter than us. If God is, is so much bigger and smarter and all of these adjectives, if he's so much more than us, then we're not going to understand him. And, and, and that, that's true with anything. My, my daughter doesn't understand the decisions I make for her most of the time. Daddy, why do I have to take a nap? Why do I have to, you know, not eat candy? Why can't I watch TV all day? Why can't I go and run to the park when I'm four years old? Why can't I do, why can't, why, why, why? And a lot of times I'll sit and say, sweetheart, listen, I'll tell you why you can't do this. I'll tell you why you need to sleep. I'll tell you why you need to brush your teeth. But most of the time, you know what I know? You're, not gonna, you're just not going to understand. Just, just trust me, baby. I got your best interests in mind. Especially after the millionth time she's asked, Right? But that's what we do to God, right? Well, why, 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 why? And he's saying, just trust me. I understand. If I told you, you probably wouldn't get it anyways. But just trust me. We're not going to always get our whys answered. And that leads me to my final point. God said, for I am doing something in your days that you would not believe even if you're told. He was saying, you're not going to understand what I'm doing. 
So what was God doing? Why did he allow the Babylonians to, to take over Judah and Israel? He says, you're not going to believe it or understand it. He was talking about the, the, these, these, this evil, evil kingdom that was going to take over the known world. Well, one of the reasons that this happened, Andrew talked about it a few weeks ago, it was, it was God's judgment. The people of, of Israel had been disobedient and walked away, and God was disciplining them. But I don't think that was the main reason why he, why he had this happen. I believe there was a lot more going on. In fact, I know there was. And, and you know, looking uh, from the future, looking backwards, we have the, the, the gift of hindsight, and we're able to see, oh, I can, I can see what God was doing. And, and God was setting the stage. God was preparing the way for Jesus. God was getting the world ready for Jesus. And oftentimes in our struggles, God is preparing the way for Jesus. Here's what I mean. See, Israel and the known world being taken over by the Babylonians began to get the ball rolling, begin to set the stage, begin to, to, to get the world ready for Jesus to come. And, and there are so many details that you can get into about why this was, and I'm just going to hit on a few of them. But a bunch of things happened. Basically, because of the known world all becoming one kingdom, there became, became a, 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 a roads that led to all the different places which made it easier for people to travel and spread messages. Also, there was a common language that eventually happened. The language of Greek became the common language so people could, could communicate to one another. It became easier to communicate the message of Jesus. I mean, there's countless things. I'll give you one more. Because of the Babylonians taking over Judah and Israel, it, took, it, it forced the Jewish people to, to go into exile and to, to go in all over the known world. All over. And they would set up their synagogues and they would, they would worship God in those places and, and people would begin to notice and, and Gentile people would begin to worship in the synagogues and worship the one true God. And if you know about Old, Old Testament Judaism, you know that you couldn't convert to Judaism, but you could be known as a God-fearer. If you were a Gentile who worshipped the one true God, you were called a God-fearer. And if you look at the history of the early church, of after Jesus came, and when the church was beginning to grow, you know where the, the majority of the growth was? It wasn't with Jewish people. It wasn't people of other religions. It was God-fearers. And so people like Paul or, or Peter or these people would go into these communities and find the God-fearers and tell them about Jesus. And the message of Jesus began to spread all over like wildfire. See, God was saying, Habakkuk, I'm planning something, and even if I told you what I was planning, you wouldn't even understand it. But I am preparing the world for Jesus. I am setting the stage to send my son. 
He said, you wouldn't even understand it. He said, and listen, he even says, write it down, though. He says, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. He's saying you're not going to understand it now, but in about 2,600 years, people are going to sit in VCDC and they'll understand. Write it down. And here's what, what's cool. Paul, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, actually refers back to this passage in, in Habakkuk. In Acts chapter 13, he says, Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would, you would never believe, even if someone told you. He's referring back to this. And he was referring to Jesus. He was talking about salvation. See, he understood that God, when he was talking to Habakkuk, wasn't talking about the Babylonians. I mean, he was, but he was talking about so much more than that. It was really about Jesus. And he was saying that, that through a brutal death that no one would understand would come life for the entire world. That, that out of destruction and pain and suffering would, become, would come hope and light. Out of darkness, light would shine. And people aren't going to understand it. They're going to look to their Savior and say, he's not our Savior, he's being killed. But that's not how God works. That out of the worst thing that could possibly happen, God would bring the best thing that could possibly happen. It doesn't make sense, but God doesn't care. He's not confined by our logic. So I want to ask you this. What is God doing in your life right now you do not understand. And I want to just propose the question, maybe he is preparing the way for Jesus. Maybe out of the destruction, he wants to bring order. Maybe out of the pain, he wants to bring healing. I don't know. What I do know is, is that so oftentimes it's like we open this book that's our life and we read like a few pages and we think this doesn't make sense, God. You know, I don't get why this is happening and, and the pages, they don't make sense, but, but we're not looking at history beforehand and we're not looking at the rest of the story. And if we could only read the rest of the story those three pages would make way more sense. If only we could see from, from God's perspective, I, I believe our suffering would make way more sense. So what is God doing in your life? What situations are you struggling with that maybe God is using to bring glory to Jesus?
And so right now, I just want to challenge you that if you are struggling, do not bury it. If you are wrestling with questions, do not stuff them down. In fact, write them down. Because maybe next year, it'll bring glory to Jesus. But I also want to encourage you, if you're struggling right now, if you're in the midst of a trial, if you are, if you are just going through doubts, I know it's tempting, but don't put yourself in the seat of judgment. Understand that God's, God's a lot different than us. He's a lot smarter. And maybe, maybe think, well, maybe if he is God, he's a lot smarter, maybe his ways are higher than my ways. I just want to challenge you to, to not stop asking your questions, but to say, well, I'm going to choose to follow you in the midst of my questions. But I also want you to look for the evidence of what Jesus is doing. Look for the evidence. What is Jesus, what, what is God preparing in your heart? I look back now at times where I was struggling. I look back at that time in my early 20s where I felt like God was a million miles away and I just see his fingerprints over everything. And I wish I wish I could have had my eyes open at the time to it. But God is in control, and he has a plan. He has a plan, even if it doesn't make sense in the moment. Why don't we stand? I usually, when I'm preparing a message, will think through uh, ministry time, and, and the Lord will give me some things to share with you guys, but I felt like all week the Lord was just saying, just wait. Let's, let's take some time to, to wait and see what the Lord has to say. So why don't, why don't we just invite him here? Holy Spirit, we just ask for your presence. We just ask that you would speak to us. So, you know, I, I mean, I feel like there's some people that when I was, when I was preaching, that different things I said about struggling and doubt and stuff, there's, there's stuff that was going on in your heart, and the, the Lord wants you to respond to that um, and, and get prayer tonight. And so if the Lord was speaking to you about something, um, we, we love to be a church that responds and says, okay, God, you're obviously doing something. So I want to be obedient and, 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 and you know, come, come to you. So I just want to invite 
you forward to get prayer if there was something like that. But I felt like there was a few specific things as we were being quiet. Um, I felt like there's maybe a couple people here who have been struggling with having uh, a lot of nightmares recently. Just a lot of really horrible dreams. Um, can, can you raise your hand if that's you, if you've been having... Okay. I thought it was a couple people. So I feel like the Lord wants to minister to you guys. Um, so if you, yeah, if you want to come forward, we'd love to pray for you. Um, I also felt like there was someone here who uh, has really bad pain in their right shoulder. I just, sometimes when I'm asking the Lord to speak to me, he'll give me these sympathetic pains and, and I felt this like kind of tinge in my shoulder. Is that someone here? Pain in the right shoulder? Is that someone? Okay, cool. Um, and I want to invite you to get prayer as well. But I also, the last thing was, I felt like there was, there was a number of people here who are dealing with uh, issues with their children um, who have kind of, are going through rebellious stages and the Lord wants to really minister to you and give you wisdom and how to communicate to your kids. And, and it might be any, it could be your like three-year-old being rebellious or it could be your, your grown child who's walked away from the Lord or, or anything in, in between. But if any of those things apply to you, I, I want to invite you forward to get prayer. And if you have any pain or anything that you came to church wanting to get prayer for, I want to invite you forward to, to, to get prayer. And Sarah's going to lead us in one more song. But if you can start making your way up, we'd love to pray for you.
Thank you that you are bigger than any question that we have. Lord, we just give you our hearts this evening, and we just ask that uh, in the midst of any any struggle or, or question or season that we were in, that we could just be people that would say yes to you, that would follow you no matter what. Lord, we just ask for you for faith to be able to do that, strength to be able to, to do that, Lord. We don't have it in, our, in ourselves, so we just ask for more of you. We just pray uh, that there would be healing in this place, that there would be freedom in this place. Just love you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>